Welcome back. You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with my good friend, Asia Morado. She is one of the hardest working creatives, photographers that I know, and uh, yeah, I'm, this is the first new episode that I made uh, for 2019, and I've been dying to have you hear this talk. Uh, we go into just so many different things, so many different facets of being uh, a creative person, what that means even, and what it means to create and to strive to create. Um, Asia is someone I've known for a very long time. Uh, she's an incredible photographer, videographer. Uh, she edits videos and she does creative direction and she's pretty much an all-around powerhouse. She's worked with The 1975, Caroline Rose, Billie Eilish, uh, Pusha T at some point, uh, even uh, Post Malone. I mean, she, she just has an incredible knack for working with incredible people and doing incredible things. And yeah, she is just a really mega person. So let's just jump into this, shall we? This is the 405 Exchange with Asia Morado. Enjoy. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Are you? I think so, yeah. How yeah, are you? I'm doing good. What's funny is because like right before I hit the recorder, you just said how nervous you are. Yeah. And now the world knows. I, yeah. Uh, so there's nothing to hide. You're just constantly exposing me, Ken. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I Less than a minute in. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to expect with this, but I'm pretty stoked, nevertheless. Yeah, I guess the <laughs> biggest thing is like wanting to talk about a bunch of stuff we've weirdly never talked about, even though we talk. We talk a lot. Yeah. We talk a lot. I'm like actually intrigued. I'm actually going to get all comfortable. I'm going to recline. Get all lounge you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what's so funny is that like, I'm pretty sure we met under the basis of shooting, but I don't think I have any idea of what it was that made you even want to shoot because you're already shooting by the time we met. I was. Yeah. I mean, wow. I've been shooting for about almost 10 years now, it feels like. But the way I kind of fell into music was really unexpected and prompted by someone that I'd never met before who just, like, needed someone to take photos of the Maccabees at Music Hall of Williamsburg. And, like, I'd never heard of them before. I was just kind of like, this would be a cool opportunity to take this camera that I got for Christmas out and see what I could do and... That night basically changed my life. <laughs> was that at like 2012, like yeah. around the time they released like Given to the Wild? I think? Uh, yeah, I yeah, I think it was 2012. I was yeah. at that show. Yeah, yeah, I was watching for the size. That was like one of the sweatiest shows I've been to. It was. It honestly opened up my mind and heart to British indie rock music. I like. Yeah. I'd always, you know, dabbled. I liked. I liked uh, my music from across the pond, but. Yeah. The Maccabees were like a really enchanting band for me, and I I like owe so much of everything I've done to just like seeing them because that show like showed me really what you could do with photography and music yeah. and yeah. It was like that for me back in '08. I moved here like that July, and I saw the Subways. They played at the Gramercy oh, right. Theater. Okay, and it was one of those things where like seeing. Not just a band being the way they were, but seeing a crowd react like that 
I remember like being eight, uh, 17 and just thinking like, what is this? Right. Like it's just, it was mind blowing. That's so awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think I might have like shot a few shows when I was like a teenager with like a shitty Sony Cybershot. Like <laughs> I don't even know what the brand of camera was, but like I knew that I knew that I enjoyed it. I never really pursued it because I was I was studying film, um, documentary film production, in at Brooklyn College, and yeah, like. I don't know. Photography was always something I liked, but I never really gave it the time of day because I was so full focus in becoming a cinematographer. And it kind of, as soon as I delved into photography and music photography, it pushed my cinematography and my interest in it to the side a little bit. Yeah. But I'm really happy it did. Do you think, <laughs> do you think a big thing with getting into photography was like, because something that's kind of shocked me with it is like how it helps you talk to people more and how it helps you like learn about yourself from doing it do you feel like you noticed that the more you did it yeah I mean I feel like I've always been a very ambitious person but I feel like delving into photography kind of showed me how eager I am to learn because as soon as I started doing it I was like how can I make this better how can I do this this much better and what avenues can I actually take this down? And it led me to kind of pursuing journalism in a way as well and kind of reaching into my creative writing skills again. And yeah, to be able to like go and review a show and also take photos was like a really cool thing for me to do outside of studying film in school. Because I think as soon as you start studying something in school, it becomes a little daunting and heavy. And you're just kind of like why am I doing this? Like, what enjoyment do I get out of this anymore? And photography was a good balance of all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, just going to what you're saying there, I think it's so huge, especially when you're, like, in an art or creative-focused school, because as invigorating as it is being around like-minded people and people who are, like, into what you are, it's also that thing of that people who are, like, so much more dedicated than you, and you just look at them like, whoa, I have to be, like, that in it? Absolutely. Shit. It's it's heavy. I mean, I didn't start off in an arts major at all. I was a communications major when I lived in Florida and I knew that it wasn't for me and I knew I always wanted to work in media and that there wasn't really any creative outlets in South Florida and that's what drove me up to New York. Um, but still, when I, when I was applying for schools up here, I was like, what exactly is it that I'm going to do? <laughs> like, yeah. do, can I justify getting a degree in film? Like, it, it was definitely something that was frowned upon amongst my family, for sure. They wanted me to get a business degree. And it, to be fair, I can see where they're coming from. I get that. <laughs> it's a good fallback. And I could have probably pursued film on the side. But, I mean, everything that I've done has led me to where I am now and um, I couldn't be more grateful for all those decisions and they were they were tough ones to make for sure yeah well a big one too is like when you think about the people who inspire you creatively it's like I guess the common theme with so many of them is that they all have that devote dedication to what they're doing absolutely so and then when you think of a place like this it's like it just kind of forces you to like think about creative like how to approach things creatively all the time yeah, and and that's a positive thing, but I think also when it comes to living in a place like New York, the oversaturation and overconsumption of content 
that's just produced Ugh, here. I hate that word so I much. know. I'm sorry. <laughs> the C word. It's, it needed to be said, though. It needed to be said, and I'm happy it was said this early on in the interview. But, you know, you definitely can become... It doesn't matter where you are geographically. You can become creatively stifled. And I find I'm approaching my 10th year up in New York, I think, or like 9th. But the longer I've been here, the harder I find it is to be creative just based off of and I don't know if it's you know my overindulgence in Instagram or you know the the ability to kind of compare myself to other people in my field and just see all the amazing work that's being done and admiring that but it's so overabundant here yeah that you just kind you can't help but become creatively stifled at some point. No, that was a big thing that I was dealing with last year, a little bit in 2017 too, but last year was like a big one where cuz I really started shooting at the end of 08 and I started taking it seriously around 2011 and it's like, you know what it's like, you just kind of like constantly like shoot constantly like assess what you're doing, how you're approaching it and constantly just like thinking I have to like do it as much as I can. But it does get to a point where it's like, you're right, when you're around so many other creative people and, like, you find yourself comparing yourself, it's not really in the context of, like, those people. It's always in the context of yourself of, like, why am I not producing the stuff I want to? Or, like, why don't I feel about my work the way I do about other people? And it's, like, it's a lot. Right. And and our, our field specifically is just a constant look for affirmation and gratification from other people. It's the worst thing It's ever. the worst thing. And I mean, the one thing I've really tried taking on with this year is making work for myself and just kind of taking a little bit of a break off of the social media outlets. Respect I, to you. It's I mean, it, it, trust me, I haven't gotten very far with that just yet. But <laughs> I'm, you know, the more you, the more you look to just do things to bring yourself further and not do things to make other people go, wow, look at how good they're doing. You're only doing better for yourself in the long run. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's crucial. Like, I feel like if there's a secret to, like, getting creative again and getting inspired again, it's essentially that, like, figuring out how to do stuff for yourself in that sense. And just, like, again, we're, like, blessed to be in a career field where you can constantly learn yeah. And there's so many different avenues in photography and in media and all this. And there's so much more you could be doing. Like, yeah. I feel like when it comes to, you know, non-creative feel, uh, crea- non-creative job fields, there's one path. <laughs> there's no little avenues where you can kind of like figure out how to do this and like make it better. It's just like you go down that path and that's it. And that's great. That a lot of people benefit from like a straight and steady path when it comes to their jobs. But with us, there's just, it's an endless world of opportunity. It's a world of endless opportunities. But going into that too, there is like a sense where, especially when you think about the amount of time we spent in it, there's this matter of like, that can be so overwhelming in a sense because it's like, what do I want to actually do? I think that's the biggest thing I've been finding myself dealing with in terms of feeling like uninspired is like, I look at the stuff that I've done feeling proud of it and I look at what I can do. And then I almost find myself a little paralyzed thinking, what do I actually want to do? Because it's like, you know, once you do touring a little bit and once you shoot arena shows and like you're on stage at arenas and festivals, it's all amazing. But you do get a point where you're like, 
okay, do I just want to do this a hundred more times? And then you find yourself thinking, how do the artists do it? <laughs> like, how do the artists that you're touring with go on for three months at a time, not knowing what time zone they're in, not knowing what day it is, not knowing where they're sleeping? It's, it's scary. It's a little scary. I mean, I think the, the rewards that they reap from touring are incredible and you know it's such an amazing thing to do and kind of just see the world but at what point at what point does an artist say I wish I could just make the music without having to basically ruin my life for three to six months at a time do you know it's so funny I don't want to like name any names (laughs) I don't want to like make people feel weird but it's like there's a couple artists that I know personally that I've worked with that especially in the last few years I've talked to, and that's exactly how they feel. Where it's like the touring is such like a necessity aspect of just survival. But yeah. the aspect of like, if they actually want to do it, it just fades. Yeah. I guess naturally of getting older, it just happens. Yeah. I think like the first couple of weeks of touring is amazing. Like obviously yeah. it's a rush and you're excited. And then as soon as you get into that third, fourth week, you're like, okay. How about that fourth day? <laughs> True. True. A van breaks down or... They don't have your check-in at the hotel. It's, yeah, it's, it's the, a lot. You want to get in the venue, like, maybe, like, two or three hours early, and the sound guy hates the hell out of you. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Oh, it's funny how that works, though, because I remember with touring, it was one of those things where, like, I looked at people who did it, like, nine months out of the year, and, like, there was so much envy. And I would only ever do it for, like, a week or two at a time, but I was thinking, like, I have to make it, like, a whole year thing. I need to. But then when you just think about that thing of, like, exiting i hate saying but like real life or real world for a little bit and trying to go back into it it's so jarring that the idea of like doing it in such like a intense way i'm not even gonna like compare it to going to war (laughs) it's not (laughs) it's not even close it's not even the realm of that but when you do come off tour for that long it must feel like I can't even I can't even like articulate it. it let's let's level it. It's more like World War One where they're in the trenches. Not like <laughs> World War Two where it's like actually like people getting shot. But World War One where you're in the trenches and you're writing letters and shit and yeah. like, fuck. It rained again. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't fight today because, you know, no one fought in World War One really. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I mean I I don't I mean luckily I've I've had the incredible opportunity to work with artists who gave me the ability to come on for two weeks at a time or three weeks at a time as opposed to like a nine-month tour because I couldn't accommodate that at the time because I was juggling full-time gigs. Well, that's the reality that you don't see on like social media, Instagram, because like I remember... So I've dabbled in working full-time at like studios, corporate offices, and like more corporate type of studios. And and it was most... Essentially, I've always had full-time jobs. And like... I remember for the longest time, I always felt, like, a bit of weirdness and shame having a full-time job. Because, like, so many of the people we admire, it's like they're constantly, like, freelancing, constantly doing yeah. stuff. But then when I would get to know these, like, again, not saying names, but, like, really, like, famous photographers, people that I know. No one was only shooting stuff they wanted to shoot. It was either you were sh- they were shooting corporate stuff or stuff they hated, or yeah. they also had a full-time job they just never posted about. Absolutely. You feel like you have to live this double life a little bit. Like, yeah. Especially if, you're cl- like, if you have clients who have taken you on as freelance, 
you can't let them know you have a full-time job because then you're immediately out of the books yeah. for any potential further opportunities. And they it's, question your dedication and how yeah. much you could like be a service yeah. or whatever. But I, I find, you know, since having taken on another full-time job in the media industry, I've been a lot more open with my clients about it and let them know, like, listen, yeah, I'm doing this 9 to 5 Monday, Monday through Friday, but that doesn't take away how much hard work I put into every other job I take on freelance. Like, yeah. I... I don't know how I've done it, but I've figured out a way to balance it. <laughs> it's been very many sleepless nights, but... <laughs> I've gotten a little, like, uh, uh, Samuel Jackson with it, where my mindset's just like, I'm too old now. It's like, of course you have to work a full-time job. Like, if anyone was to act weird about it, but like, how do you think anyone pays for it? Right. There, you know what? The freelance lifestyle is something that's glamorized and masked. Yeah. For sure. The glamorization of it's fucked up. It's fucked up, yeah. and it's... It's all Instagram's fault. I mean, <laughs> let's be real here. We go and we scroll through our feeds and we see these people posting themselves in luxurious locations with these and doing cool things. But at the end of the day, you're only seeing that one moment. You don't know what's happening the rest of the day. You yeah. don't know what's happening the rest of the week or the month or the year. It's just that one moment that's really good for them. And you know what? That's great. Yeah. You can... It's no shade to them. If they, That's what Instagram is. It's It's... The exploitation of good moments to make others <laughs> like believe that. that all those good moments are happening even if you're not posting about it. But that's not real life. Yeah. We need full-time jobs to we get do. by. <laughs> this is such a random non-sequitur. Like, it has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But it just randomly popped in my head. And I realized I never had the chance to talk to you about it. But do you remember, like, at some point last year when Quincy Jones did that Vulture interview? Did you ever read that? Yes. <laughs> that was the funniest fucking thing in the world, wasn't it? What did he say? He, oh, it was like so something much. with the women. Something he said with women and like. He said he went on a date with Ivanka Trump. Oh, yeah. He said Ringo Starr's one of the worst drummers he ever worked with. He is not wrong. <laughs> he had a whole... What was it? I think it was either John Lennon or Paul McCartney said Ringo isn't even the best drummer in our band. Which is unreal. Well, he had a, he said a whole story about like how Ringo spent half an hour trying to do a drum fill that he couldn't get right, yep. and then he just like was like, "Hey, Ringo, go take a break. You know, have some shepherd's pie or something. And come yeah. back." So then uh, Quincy Jones got his friend who was in the next room, who's like one of the best jazz session drummers in the world. He did it in like three minutes flat, like the drum fill. Then Ringo comes back and he like asks if he could like listen to it back, and he's like, "Oh, I actually sound great." And Quincy Jones like, "Yeah, motherfucker, because it isn't you." <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. Do you know what I feel bad about Nicole's probably listening, and she loves Ringo Starr, and now she's gonna be so mad that we brought that up. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Ringo Starr is a legend in his own right. He's a good dude. No one Sir can wear Ringo Starr. No one can wear glasses like him. No one can wear glasses like exactly. him. No one could get away with pulling off the name Ringo. <laughs> For as long as he has. So uh, I think it him. came into my head because I was on a plane from Manchester recently. I reread that interview on the plane. And it was one of those things where like, I was trying not to laugh to myself because then normal people around me think I'm a psychopath. Right. But it's just like, man, it's just so funny. It's so good. That makes me think of... I just watched that um, that Coldplay documentary on Amazon. Cause, oh, how is it? Um, <laughs> Your face. Your fucking face. It's... Um, <laughs> Listen, I love Coldplay. I'm going to say it for the world to to hear. I I do not love any of their new stuff. I cannot even believe what Chris Martin's made of that band. Oh, it's the worst. But 
they went on to kind of like the backstories of how they all met, which I thought was a cool part of the documentary. I didn't really love the theatrics of the actual documentary itself. Like, they were kind of all up their own arses. Were they? So, yeah. Even Um, the bass player? Is his name Guy? I think so. It's Guy or Gary or something. The drummer, um, Will Champion. Yeah. I think that's his name. Yeah. Yeah. He was a shit drummer. He was a shit drummer and just, like, made it work and learned it and just, like, did it just to, like, appease Chris Martin because they were best friends and, like, they didn't want to let him go. Wow. He had, like, quit the band early on at one point. Did he? Yeah. And then they got him back somehow and, yeah. I mean, he's wow. not, like, the best drummer, but definitely an incredible songwriter. Yeah, he's an amazing multi-instrumentalist. I mean, his drums on, like, the Viva, Viva album, that's, yeah. like, amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he's become an incredible drummer, yeah. but I, I think early on, he, it was never his thing. And then he just kind of did it because they yeah. couldn't find a drummer, so... That last Coldplay album was so bad. I love them so much, but I don't know what they were And then they, about. like, tried rebranding themselves as another band called Los... Oh, I can't remember the name, but it's just like, come on, dude, give it a rest. Just stop. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you about was what you're doing now. Because you're doing interviews and... Well, <laughs> I want to make it clear to people because we talked about this a little bit further quarter. You're essentially directing, producing, and editing videos at Sirius right now. Yeah. Um, I shit. never thought... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know what? It's it's wild because I, I never thought I'd work in radio. Yeah. Ever. I mean, I I guess I kind of knew the need for the video aspect of radio, but Sirius is like this mega media conglomerate, and I kind of swore to myself after my last job that I wasn't going to work at another media conglomerate again, um, just because you kind of become lost in the shuffle a little bit with these companies that have so many employees. But, yeah. you know... Serious is just the shit that happens there does not happen anywhere else. Like the interactions that happen, the the interviews, the piece, the the things that you're hearing from the people that come in, and you just get absolutely all walks of life. And for me, who loves everything having to do with pop culture and politics and music and movies, like it just seemed like a really good fit for me. And I'm very much the type of person that needs to needs to say yes just to see what it'd be like. Yeah. Like I could, I I feel like if I ever turned that job down, I'd spend the rest of my life wondering what it could have been. And I'm so happy I did because I I feel like I'm every day is just like <laughs> you don't even know like what's mm. gonna happen. Well, I know this is definitely a heavy question to ask, but I feel like it's crucial in regards to like working at a place like that when you are so creative and you have so many ideas but like do you feel heard within that place like do you feel like your ideas are heard when you present Um, them yes and no because there are very strict guidelines and and ground rules as to what we are able to produce Mm -hmm. and what we have the rights to and a lot of it has to do with talent permissions as well there's some things you know that they just can't accommodate in their 45 minutes that they're at the office but I think moving forward with this year, we're going to have a lot more opportunities to kind of foresee and and explore a lot of the ideas that we have on the table at the moment and just getting to shoot a lot more live music performances and making those a little bit more 
cinematic and yeah. heavy and dramatic as opposed to just bringing a band into a studio and having them play a, their single yeah. acoustically or like I don't know there's there's so many things that are done right there and that's the most endearing thing about working there is like seeing their process and seeing their methods and knowing that you could just expand off of that instead of having to build from the ground up yeah so it's nice hearing that because something that's always been a what's the right word for it i guess something that's always kind of like messed me up a bit working in studios and working like in different production companies is that like you love those environments for how much they're not like corporate office type of places but then when you see as much as you love those personalities and you love like how you know off the cuff they do stuff when you go to a corporate office you see how there's the processes and it's like they have very strict guidelines you do see like the value in that yeah and then it's like it seems like with serious it's kind of like the best of both worlds where it's like it is like that off the cuff thing of like different personalities and like being able to do and say what they want but also understanding that they have to operate like an actual business absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean it's probably like the most lax corporate place you could work <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing it's i mean yeah it is it is it is amazing. It's it's really nice to like articulate it because I think it's something I've just kind of sat on for the past six months that I've been working there nearly and just, you know, it's easy to just have a conversation like, yeah, it works good. But to like really go into the depths of it and understand like it is good. Like yeah. as someone who's very intimidated by the idea of a full-time job having been freelance for the past like seven years of my life, it's it's nice to have found a home and security and stability. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing that's missed when people... Because I've gone between... I've mostly worked full-time, but I've, like, freelanced a lot, too. Like, in, like for, like, in between a lot of years. And, like, one of the weirdest things when you work as a freelancer and you, like, interview for places is, like, there's always that question of, why would you want a full-time job? And it's, like... I think so many people miss. It's, like, as great that is that uh, anima... You know, like... Being able to just do what you want and, like, make your own schedule and, like, work all the things you want to as a freelancer, there's that aspect of, like, if I could work at a place and have it feel like home, I would take that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just a matter of, like, that's not most places. It's not most places, and, you know, I'm lucky to be able to have that. I, it took a lot of searching. It yeah. did. It did. Um, and to, like, be able to work with people who are like-minded and love the things that you love, not just in work, but out of work. Like, to be able to work with audiophiles like people that just have such an immense adoration for music it's like the most refreshing thing yeah. we all have like a little playlist that we add our music onto to like show other people we're <laughs> listening it's like i'm like how did i like like how did i get this to this point in my career like didn't want this at all didn't yeah. want a nine to five yeah. but embraced it and am ultimately happier for it yeah. it's like it's good i'm happy you know so i've been mean to ask you <laughs> and it's kind of in regards to their job well it's like branching off of that but a couple well months now you saw maddie right 75 you did like a video for me yeah? yes what yeah. was it like seeing him again uh it was good it, <laughs> you know it was really good to see him in what seems to be a more grounded and happy place like to I mean, you know, having known kind of what he's been going through the past few years of his life and, yeah. like, not really knowing the insight to it, but now learning about it from him in a first-hand account, 
you just kind of have more of an adm- admiration for him as a person because I see him and I don't see like this like outrageous pop star who's just trying to like have the world love him. He's like an honest down to earth dude. He really yeah. is. And he's no bullshit, no frills. Like yeah. he says it like it is and you just got to respect him for that. And... I agree. I think that's what gets missed in regards to like how polarizing people find him in the band. It's like what's amazing about him as an individual is that he's in on what people perceive the band and him to be. Absolutely. And it's so refreshing seeing that in modern day where it's like, I agree, like seeing him be able to talk about the struggles and things he's been through. We're in a time now where people do anything but talk about their struggles. So it just means so much more hearing someone talk about the shit they've been through. And listen, like, I'm going to sound like the ultimate fangirl and maybe it is because I am. I am am a fangirl. But, um... (laughs) There is, I say this all the time, there's no one in the music industry that pushes as hard and works as hard as that band and that label. Like, Dirty Hit and the 1975. I mean, he goes off on these like crazy tangents on Twitter of things he just wants to do to please the people that love him most. And that's something that it's kind of a lost art form in itself amongst bands relationships with their fan bases. Yeah. They make their fans feel like family. And it's, I don't know, you know, they kind of, they're setting a really good standard for other musicians to move forward in music. Yeah. I love what you said. That's a good point because looking back to when we were younger, Ill. But when we were younger, <laughs> uh. there was that matter of like bands, like you know, fan clubs and message boards, oh, and yeah. like feeling <laughs> as part of a community. But that really is gone. Like you don't really feel like you're part of a whole when you're a fan of certain bands now or artists. Listen, I am self-proclaimed fan base girl. Like <laughs> I was a part of John Mayer's Local Eighty Three fan club. That's I amazing. was a part of Jack's Mannequins Street Team. Wow. Dashboard Confessional Street Team. Like I wish you never said that. I know, but <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> I am living vicariously through my younger emo years and happily <laughs> able to revive them in the year twenty nineteen. So I mean, I'm very stoked about it that. It just hit me. <laughs> Is are they the reason or the way we met? Because for people listening who might not know, I used to work with them during the first album and then you shot them a lot during the end of that and during the second, and you like of, went of the 1975. 1975, yeah. And I'm thinking, is that how we met? Um, I or think, met yeah, I think we actually had met at their Terminal Five show in December of 2014. 14. 2014. Oh yeah, that's right. Was it through like Eric? Maybe. Have you met? It- yeah. yeah. Yes. Eric yes. Mooney. Eric Mooney. Yeah. Hi, Eric. Hi. <laughs> I haven't seen him in so long. He lives in Nashville now. Does he's, he? Yeah, he's doing. Um, he's studying hair... architecture. Smart man. Yeah. Yeah. He's wow. killing it. He's like such an incredible dude, and like really just what a brain on him. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm glad because you know I remember something I deeply respect out of him, and he's probably listening now, and I've never told him this. But something <laughs> I respect out of him is that he moved here with the idea of like doing big things and having a dream and like he went for it but he never let he never had rose tinted glasses about it so like he was very quick to figure out that like pursuing a dream in new york there's so much bullshit that comes with it oh 100 and i love that he was just willing to address that like so early on rather than having to like have that you know how some people just kind of like trick themselves into thinking they want to be in that pursuit when really it's like 
Well, back to my love-hate relationship with New York. The number one thing I've realized about here, about living here, is you move here with the idea that if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But what is making it? Yeah. Like, (laughs) what are we trying to achieve here? We're essentially, I I get it. (laughs) There's more opportunity here for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, what what is it that you're trying to reach? Yeah. It's such an abstract thing. It, it And it, it's a question that people can't answer. Like, it's yeah. an idea in their head, and it's what they're striving for, but there's no actual end goal. No, it's really weird. Yeah. And just, like, the amount of, like, sacrifice it takes living here in terms of just, like, you know, your personal life or personal progression. You know, when I think about how long I've been here, and I think about other people, it's like, it has to, you can't be in a place for that long on purpose. That's what I always find myself thinking, where it's like, I've had great experiences, I've done great things, but I think about how long I've been here, I find myself going like, the fuck did that happen? Everyone needs to live in New York once. You think? Just once in their life. Just to get it out of their system? Get it out of your system. (laughs) Because for as much as, you know, there are the negatives, there are so many positives here. They are. There is, it, just the energy here is unlike any place you'll ever, like, it surpasses any other city I've ever been to. And just, you know, with with the bad comes the good, and with the good comes the bad. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, it makes your skin a bit tougher. To it live does. Here. It, it, really it does. makes you grow as a person. It throws you into the grind and understanding what it takes to be successful and yeah. to bring that elsewhere and to build off of that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that keeps me is that keeps me here continuously. It's the fact that. For as much as it can be a struggle just existing here, every year offers such different means of experiences. Absolutely. And it's hard to picture another place that does that. Exactly. It's, I say this all the time, and I, I remember seeing it in an old black and white film about... Um, it had to have been in the 40s or 30s or the 30s. You're such the, an art school kid. I'm really not. <laughs> this was like a shared video on Facebook. I don't want to lead anyone to believe that I'm just this person that watches black and white films in the privacy of my own home. This guy was talking about New York, and he said, when it comes to the city, I'm the prisoner and I'm the prison guard. Oh. And I relate to that so hard. You do feel that way. I don't know. I There's times where I want to leave here so bad. So bad. And I just don't know how to. Yeah. And I can't allow myself to. I know that it'll happen one day. I don't know when. I don't know why. But this isn't a place that you stay forever. And it... It'll be hard to leave, but ultimately, I think I'll be leaving a better person than I came here. Yeah, because it's a. Pl- I feel like there's places. This is gonna sound so fucking pretentious, and it's funny because I just made fun of you for making a block of <laughs> But I feel like oh, how the tables have turned. I know. Ken. Okay. I, I feel like there's. It's not every place you could live in that's gonna leave an impression on you, and this is a place that undoubtedly does. Yeah. 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 I mean, like I've spent my share of time. I've spent a lot of time in London, and I absolutely love it there, but people say it's like on par with New York, and I just don't feel that way. Mm, I think it's better. Do you? I do. It's not that I don't feel it's better. <laughs> it's very, It's two different animals. It, it, it is. really is. I find, I find London to be way more financially driven than New York is. 
Where I feel like New York's more creatively driven yeah. and London's more financially driven. I think what I find with London that always calls my heart back there is I feel like and it's only from my experiences there, so maybe if I like was to live there properly, this would be flipped on its head so much. But I feel like it's easier to find yourself in, in an insular situation in New York in contrast. Like I feel like you could feel more embedded with the city itself with London. Yeah. I agree. I do. There's, but you know what? That also probably depends on the person. Yeah. And the situations as well. There's definitely more of a peace about London than there is New York. Like, I feel like there's no peacefulness when it comes to New York. No. Whereas you go to London and it's just kind of like the old architecture. And like, not that we don't have that here, but there's just something. It's more charming there than it is here. Yeah. And I feel like the, even though they're both diverse cities, I feel like with London it's so much more you have to be more shoulder to shoulder in, in that regard yeah. I feel like I mean here we are in Brooklyn now which we all love I feel like the weird thing about being in Brooklyn is you can find your little corners where it's like just people who are like you yeah and it's like I always find that weird yeah like I don't like people like me <laughs> as soon as i moved to bushwick i was like look at all these yuppies like creatives and then i'm like wait i am that person (laughs) (laughs) i looked at myself in the mirror i was like how am i doing this this is me i'm moving to brooklyn soon again and i'm thinking like when i go to a coffee shop and i see someone in like a denim shirt i'm like no it's i there's no place like brooklyn i love this city but like brooklyn till i die True. There's so a couple I things know. I want to ask you before we end this. This okay. has been so much fun. One of the I big, love this. Yeah. Keep going. Well, one of the big things that you got to do last year that we didn't have a chance to talk much about is that you got to direct your first music video. I did. That I was did. a big thing for you. Uh, yeah, it was It was crazy. I mean, again, like it, it all comes back down to Dirty Hit and like them being incredible humans and like really giving me this awesome opportunity to take one of their newer artists and kind of uh, create something really cool with them. And it was the, the whole timing of it was a bit rushed on my end because again, it comes back down to me balancing the nine to five job. And also I had like 12 weddings over the course of like <laughs> six months that I was very much a big part of. And wait, you were like part of, part of most of those weddings. I it wasn't twelve weddings. I'm being dramatic. It was about my, my well, man, it was five. It was five over the course of the year, and th- two were overseas, and three were here. I officiated one. I was bridesmaid in another, and my husband was a groomsman in the others. So I was basically a part of that in a very serious way as well. So why would just, you do that? That sounds terrible. It honestly, <laughs> you know what? If it, if I didn't absolutely adore these people. I would say yeah, it would be terrible, but it like was obvious. It was it was just like the most wonderful. You experience. directed a music video in the middle of that. In the middle of being a bridesmaid for the first time, yeah, it was kind of intense. But uh, what the fuck? Yeah, so we, uh, I got to work with this incredible group of guys called the Candescents, and they're one of um, Dirty Hit's newest signings um, in America. They've started signing a lot of American artists, which is really awesome. Um, and yeah, I got to like go on the road with them for about four days and had four days to make a music video essentially. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because when you're in situations like that, where it is such a time crunch, you just have to be shooting all the time, all the time. Like you cannot put your camera down. 
and you know some things don't go to plan and there's a lot of obstacles but at the end of the day like you just have to make it work and in which case this is where I'm super thankful for my documentary film production degree whereas <laughs> like I've been completely regretting the fact that I spent so much money on a degree in film when I learned more working on set than I did in actual school but yeah in this case, I actually got to apply what I learned in school, kind of. And I really want to point this out for people listening who aren't aware of, like, the realities of touring. But it's like, you, there, no one has only one job on tour. Anyone no. who's on a tour does so many other things, so... And, and the other tours I've been on, I, where I was a photographer, I wasn't just a photographer. I would sell merch. I yeah. would help load in and load out. Like, just because you wanted, you want to be as helpful as you possibly can, especially when you see everyone that you're working with kind of breaking their backs to make these shows happen every night. You kind of, you just want to do that to help and like be there. And you know, it's all a part of the experience, but, um, but yeah, this music video was just, it's something I'd always wanted to do. And I, I set a goal to do it last year. And luckily I was able to, to do that and not direct one, but two, I've got the, the second, installment with them coming out you do in the next couple of weeks yeah holy shit yeah how does yeah. that make you feel knowing that good it, yeah. it makes me feel good um i think i'm super self-conscious of my work which i could be very open about yeah. um there's a lot of things you know when you're sitting and cutting a video for hours on end for weeks you kind of need to take a step back and like get fresh eyes to look at it and tell you how it is but for me, like sometimes when I just do these things in repetition, I kind of lose track of what the end goal is with the pieces that I'm creating. And, you know, while it might not be like exactly what I want it to be, it will lead me to make things better in the future, if that makes any sense. No, I think I want to rephrase that. Let me think. <laughs> Well, I think you hit it right there because it's like the experience, regardless of how you feel about the end result, the experience is only going to help you further. Right. I mean, to direct, produce, essentially style, I've served as a stylist. I, Did I don't you? know who the hell allowed me to do that, but I, I had to serve as a stylist for certain parts of the video. Those jeans have to be ripped somehow. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, we you need an aesthetic. And... Um, <laughs> To edit, to sound design, to to take on all these different roles to make something your own. It's so tedious and exhausting, but it's, to me, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's not that I don't trust to work with other people to, to make something great. I do, but with my training and with my background and how I've learned throughout school and, and at university, it's just, that's all I know. I only know how to do things on my own. And... I think making these music videos has kind of shown me that, yeah, I can do it all on my own, which is great, but I think I'd also love to move forward making music videos in a collaborative sense and not wear so many hats. Yeah. I think that's probably preferable for a majority of reasons. Yeah, but to have kind of the creative control all in your lap is, is a really awesome thing, too. Yeah, you did a great job with the video. Thank like, you. <laughs> what I loved about it is that, like, I don't know much about that band at all, and when I watched it, I did feel like I got a sense about what they're, like, style-wise and just kind of, like, 
how they probably like to approach things. So to have that encapsulated within a video, it's not easy to do at all. It's not, and they're the greatest group of guys, and they've got really big things lying ahead for yeah. them. They're they're really awesome, really awesome. Yeah. Before we turn this off, um, one of the I saw a post that you did not too long ago about like how. 2018 was like what the year you actually set goals for yourself and actually achieved them like it was like the first time you actually found yourself proactively doing that yeah uh i'm pretty sure everyone listening including myself has no idea how to do that and it's kind of like the type of thing of like having that drive not just like at the start of the year but retaining it throughout a whole year everyone kind of struggles with that so what do you think it was that made that year different from you and what are some goals you have for this year Hmm. It's kind of like a double one. This is a really good question. I like this. I just came up with it on the top just now. So, for me, I'm very much the type of person who sees the meaning in saying something, but seeing more of a meaning in actually doing them. And it's not easy to set goals. It's not. You put a lot of crazy pressure on yourself to kind of meet this expectation that might be out of reach for you. You don't even know until you try it. But last year I set what I thought would be realistic goals for myself, which is the first time I've ever done that. Something that was within reach for me. And it started off with me as a person outside of anything having to do with work or, or photography or anything like that. I wanted the only way you could excel in doing the things that you love is when you're whole as a person and it was more so I turned inward to kind of see what I could be doing better to make myself better physically mentally emotionally like I going back to New York New York could break you down and you kind of lose track of it and I lost track of it for a very long time and then something just switched in me where I was like, I need to ground myself. I need to figure this out. So I, I started with eating healthier. I like eliminated all the horrible foods I was eating, which was hell on earth. But it was ultimately like the best thing I could have done for myself. I was working out nonstop for like three months and I got myself, I got myself physically to a place where I wanted to be, which then allowed me to kind of build this like, to build myself up mentally a bit better too. And then I started early on in the year being like, okay, I'm the only one standing in my way when it comes to pursuing creative endeavors. Why am I standing in my own way? Why am I self-deprecating? Why am I comparing myself to others? There's no way I'm going to know how something's going to go until I do it. So I need to just do it, plan for it accordingly and make it work. So I set myself a goal that I wanted to have my photos published in print because that's a lost art form that's kind of coming back and I got that done and then when I got that done I wanted to get covers printed like I wanted to shoot a cover story and I was able to do two of those and I just found as I kind of started putting all these positive positive um, endeavors out into the world for myself that I just kind of like pursued it they were happening and it truly does come back to like, if you could see it, you could be it. Like you just got to push yourself to do it. It's the first day is the hardest, right? Like that's always how it is, no matter what you're doing. But if you commit to what you want to do and just see a positive path for yourself, you'll get there. And 
of course, like I after the print magazine stuff happened, I was like, I want to direct a music video, and I was like, okay, we're quickly approaching the end of 2018, and maybe I didn't reach that goal, but I did these other goals, and within like the last weeks of Q4, I was I got approached by Dirty Hit, and was like, hey, you want to make a music video? And I was like, holy shit, like. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like so who knew? Like, reaching the end of that, like having year like that, now a new year has just started. How do you think that helps you approach new things you want to achieve now? I just only, you know, to see like all those positive things come to fruition, it's unrealistic to think that it's just going to keep going in that direction. It, there's so much hard work behind it, and there's so much that you have to do on your own accord. You have to be your own manager, essentially. Like these things aren't just going to come to you. You have to seek them. You have to you have to put the positive energy out there to believe that you're good enough to do it, and stand by that confidence. And I, I think going into this year, I just. The goals I've set is I just want to learn to ground myself a bit more mentally, keep going with that and make sure I don't lose sight of the important things and, you know, keep going as far as like a a positive mental attitude in regards to my own work and the outlook of life and everything. But I, I think with this year moving forward, ideally in the creative sense, I just want to keep doing what I've been doing and just keep learning and making myself the best I could be in what I do the best I could be for myself I'm not looking to be the best of anything I don't want there's no such thing as the best of anything anymore there's so there's so many incredible creatives in this field that are just blowing things out of the water and it's it's an inspiration to work in a field where you can constantly be inspired by these people and get to know these people and know that they go through the same trials and tribulations as you do no matter how it might seem on social media or, or anything else, it you just you just have to keep pushing forward and keep positive, and that's just what I want to do. Yeah. I want to make more music videos. I wanna I want to shoot a narrative film, a short narrative film, because that's something I've never done, and I just want to make the most of it, yeah. make the most of life without it getting too much in the way. That makes any sense. No, it totally does. Asia, thanks for talking with me. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. I hope I didn't sound too much of an asshole. No, you totally did. <laughs> cool.